Hey, can I share some good news with you guys this morning? This is a little bit selfish and personal, but I just want to let you guys all know that my wife and I are expecting a baby. So, so she's doing all the hard work of carrying this baby to term. So uh, please extend prayers to Erica as uh, we, we have a due date in January of next year. So please keep her in prayer. And of course, our new baby, we don't know whether it's a boy or girl yet. So we'll be finding that out hopefully in another month or two. But wanted to share all that with you this morning and invite you to be praying again for our baby and for my wife together. Amen. Well, hey, can you turn in your Bibles this morning to the Gospel of Luke? We're going to be in chapter 18. And we're going to continue our series that we've been doing through this Gospel. So Luke chapter 18 And we're going to be studying the Pharisee and the tax collector, which begins in verse 9 of Luke 18. And church, would you mind standing to your feet while we read God's word to give honor to him and his word? And then you can be seated afterward. But this is Luke 18, starting in verse 9. Jesus speaking. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be Exalted. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Church, did you know that not all prayers are created equal? Sure, both men in our story this morning went to the temple and prayed, but not both prayers were equal. In James chapter 4, verse 3, we read this You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passion. So in James, we learn that there's a right way to pray and there's a wrong way to pray. There's ways of praying that actually get the the, the prayers to God's ear and there's ways of praying that prevent your prayers from being answered. Chris Pratt, the famous actor from Guardians of the Galaxy, Jurassic World, He made headlines the other day because of the religious overtones in his acceptance speech at the MTV Awards. He was offering this next generation what he called nine rules from Chris Pratt. His eighth rule was this. He said, learn to pray. It's easy and it's so good for your soul. Now, I'm not knocking Chris Pratt this morning. In fact, a lot of what he said I really appreciated in his acceptance speech. But all I'm saying is that Um, we need more guidance than that. More guidance than something like learn to pray, it's easy. Because again, there's a right way to pray and there's a long way to pray. 
Evidently, not all prayers are equal. Again, this Pharisee in this story that Jesus tells, he prayed too. Both men prayed, but it didn't go anywhere. In fact, some of your translations might say there in verse 11, standing, he prayed to himself. (laughs) And a lot of commentators point out that that might actually be the right translation here. And the idea is, although he was in the temple, although he was praying, his prayers went no further than his own head. He was praying to himself, not praying to God. Be that as it may, the way Jesus sets up this parable here is intended to make all of us think of the good guy as the Pharisee and the bad guy as the tax collector. Now, listen, I know it's probably never been popular to be a tax collector, right? If you work for the IRS today, you probably don't go to a dinner party and lead in with what you're doing for a living. Yeah, I mean, I'm the guy who takes all your money and gives it to the government. You probably kind of keep that tucked away unless it's really drawn out of you. But you need to know that in this culture, in first century Israel, being a tax collector was infinitely worse. See, we might not like tax collectors and IRS agents in our culture, but look, they're just doing their job. And and they're actually doing a good service for our community. We just don't like them because we don't want to pay taxes. But tax collectors back then, in this culture, they were scum. Tax collectors in this culture were actually sellouts. They had sold out their own people, the Jews, and they had gone to work for the Roman government, which was like anathema. The Romans were the occupying force in Palestine, in first century Israel. And you're going to go work for these people? And then not only would they go work for the enemy, but the way that they made their money was they would actually apply the taxes that the Romans wanted to collect and then add some on top. And whatever that difference was, that's what the tax collectors got to keep for, for themselves. And so they were taking advantage of their countrymen. It's, it's hard to think of a, a modern equivalent of what these people would have been like, but perhaps a, a drug dealer or somebody who's involved in human trafficking would be the closest parallel we have. The idea is tax collectors in this culture were literally making a living, and for most of them, making a killing by exploiting others. It's terrible. And yet this guy walks into the temple to pray. Now the reason Jesus tells this story is told to us in verse 9. It's to address those who check this out who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Jesus this morning for us in Luke 18 is going to deal with the sin of self-righteousness. And he uses these two men in their prayers to contrast the self-righteous on one hand with the truly righteous on the other. And friends, the real shocker comes at the end of the story. When the one who goes down to his house justified or declared righteous before God is actually the tax collector and not the Pharisee. Why wasn't the Pharisee justified? Why wasn't he declared righteous after his prayer? Well, because as we'll see, his righteousness was self-righteousness, which actually isn't righteousness at all. So let's contrast these two characters and these two prayers in our text before us. I want to begin with the self-righteous who is depicted by 
the Pharisee. What do we learn about the self-righteous? Well, two main things here if you're a note taker. The first is this. The self-righteous trust in themselves for righteousness. We see that in verse 9. They were those who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. Now check this out. The reason why a self-righteous person trusts in themselves that they are righteous is because they can only see their own goodness. In verse 12, notice all he could see about himself. It was his own goodness. He said, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. So the self-righteous person trusts in themselves for righteousness. But there's a second part to it. The second part in verse 9 is they treat others with contempt. Contempt. What does contempt mean? Well, thanks to the concise Oxford English Dictionary, I have a great definition for you. Contempt is a noun. Woo! Okay? And here's what it means. The feeling that someone or something is worthless or beneath consideration. So, it's having a feeling about somebody that says that person's worthless. Or they're not even worth considering. If you still need more help, here's the Dictionary of Biblical Languages. Contempt is to despise, to look down on, or to ridicule. Now, we've seen this depicted in many stories, many films, but just think about the evil stepmom and stepsisters in Cinderella. That modern rendition that was just done does such a great job of showing what contempt would look like. Despising somebody, looking down on them, thinking of them as worthless, and not even worthy of being considered as a person. Treating them like a second-class citizen, and that's the plight of poor Cinderella. This is what we see in this Pharisee. Look at his attitude toward other people. Look at verse 11 in his prayer. And let me just say this, if you want to know how not to pray, this is a great place to look. God, so he starts off right, he's he's at least addressing God, God, and then it just gets so sideways from here. I thank you that I am not like other men. (laughs) Sound a little arrogant? Yes. I thank you that I am not like other men. And then he concludes it with, or even like this tax collector. Literally looks at another person who's in the temple wanting to seek God and he says, I thank you I'm not like that guy over there. Do you know why the reason is that the self-righteous treat other people with contempt? It's because although they can only see their own goodness, When it comes to other people, they can only see their badness. They really struggle to find the good in other people. We might call Pharisees sin sniffers. right? They're always looking at what's negative in another person's life. Where that person is going wrong, they see the badness in others. He was able to look at his fellow man and he was able to call them extortioners, unjust, adulterers, and even this tax collector over here. Nothing positive only could see the negative in his fellow man. Let's pause and review for a second. The self-righteous trust in themselves for righteousness because they only see their own good, and they treat other people with contempt because they can only see the bad in other people. And friends, you need to know that all of this is rooted in pride. Jesus says, as, as he concludes the teaching in verse 14, for everyone who exalts himself, referring to the Pharisee, exalts himself, that's pride, will be humbled. 
So this self-righteousness is actually just the fruit of pride, of an overestimation of yourself, of looking in the mirror and somehow not seeing your flaws. I want to share with you this morning what the real danger of self-righteousness is. The real danger of self-righteousness, listen closely, is that it looks an awful lot like true righteousness. That's what's so dangerous about this. Self-righteousness, at least from the outside looking in, looks an awful lot like true righteousness. From the outside looking in at this Pharisee, everybody praised this man for his, his righteousness, for his godly life, for, for being a pillar of religion in his community. I mean, look at his track record here. He's in the temple praying. In the normal posture of prayer, he's standing at the front of the temple. He fasts every week. Ugh, conviction. But not just once, twice. Ugh, conviction again. He fasts twice every single week. He gives 10% or a tithe of everything that he earns back to the temple. I mean, doesn't this guy look good from the outside? This looks like a, a great, stunning example of what a godly person should be. And trust me when I say people would praise him as a Pharisee for his goodness. But here's the kicker. When we get a glimpse into his heart, when we get a glimpse into his inner life, we see that this man was anything but righteous. He was anything but good. See, for a Pharisee like this guy, this is like the ultimate airbrush. You know how they take pictures of models before they, they uh, print them in magazines or post them online and they, they airbrush and cover up all the blemishes and all of the things that look ugly and they present this airbrushed version of a model to the public. And we go, man, I wish I had skin like that or abs like that. Well, you know what? If they drew abs like that on me, I'd have abs like that. And we all wish that we had that, but it's an airbrushed version. And if you remove the airbrush, you look and you go, you know what? Maybe they're not that great looking. And some of us go, man, maybe I could actually make it as a model. Trust me, I'm not thinking that, but some of you might be thinking that. You know, this is one of the things that makes ministering to people in our culture so challenging. In a, in a progressive culture like the one that you and I live in, on the surface, there's something beautiful about it. There's something good about it. In a progressive culture, a culture like California, a culture like Santa Barbara, our values can be summed up by the slogan that you see sometimes, stay humble, work hard, and be kind. Sounds like pretty good advice. If we would all do that, we'd all get along pretty well. We'd be a happy little community of people. And in a progressive culture like ours, when you talk to people, They'll tell you, I'm a good person. And relatively speaking, they often are. They'll say, I'm, I'm tolerant of everybody. I'm a social justice warrior. I care about various causes like poverty and education and things like that. I recycle. I'm not out hurting people. For people like this, they believe that if, if at the end of the road, there actually is a God, and that's a big question mark for people in a progressive society. But if there is a God, then you know what? I'm not too worried about it. Because of course he's going to accept a person like me. Did you know that sort of thinking is just another version of self-righteousness? Because look at where the validation is coming from. 
It's looking to yourself for being righteous. I'm a good person. I'm doing good things. Of course, God would be pleased with somebody like me. So you're looking to yourself as the basis of your righteousness. And not only that, in our culture, the second half of this self-righteousness exists. Treating other people with contempt. Here's what I mean. Now, on the surface in a culture like ours, we seem to actually care about everybody. There's sort of this superficial inclusiveness. All are accepted here. All belief systems are welcome here. All ideologies Everyone's truth is equally valid, but that only goes so far. It's superficial. In our culture, everybody's worldview is valid except for people who don't see the world the way we do in nice, tolerant, sunny Southern California. And what do we do to people like that? We treat them with contempt. Our broader culture would mock somebody like that, look down on them, even shame them into conforming to our values. So within the progressive postmodern world, there's a new aberration of Pharisaism, being self-righteous, trusting in ourselves for our own righteousness, looking down on other people who aren't like us. But church, we can't stop here. The point of this passage is not for us just to give commentary on the culture outside of the walls of our church. Did you know that when Jesus taught this originally here in Luke chapter 18, Jesus intended to shock generally religious people? This wasn't about the irreligious, progressive people on the outside. No, Jesus was wanting to shock the people on the inside of religion. People that consider themselves godly. People that consider themselves in right standing with God. And so for all of us who are church folks, all of us who go to church and who consider ourselves probably godly, we need, to, we need to do some soul searching because that's why Jesus was teaching this in the first place. And we need to pay attention to a few things. We need to take notice that going to church doesn't make you righteous. This Pharisee went to temple just like everybody else. We need to take notice that praying does not mean you're righteous. This Pharisee was offering Prayers as well, and many people around the planet, most people around the planet pray, but that does not necessarily make you righteous. So the question we need to ask is, am I trusting in myself that I am righteous? Am I looking to my own goodness or my own good deeds as the basis for why I think that I'm right with God? And we cannot ask ourselves this question too often. Because it is so easy to deceive yourself. It really is. I, along with other leaders in the church, have confronted people in their sin. Even led them to passages of Scripture that teach that their behavior is sinful only for them to say, I know I haven't done anything wrong. God told me we're okay. Church, that level of self-deception is terrifying. It's like the many contestants on American Idol who always crack me up and they go on the show or the voice or something and they can't sing at all. They finally have somebody in their life who cares enough to tell them like it is. And even when a group of industry experts, the judges, tell them that they can't sing 
they assume that the judges are the ones who are deluded, right? You guys are making the mistake. I'm the next thing I can sing. And church, that's how we can be. Even when God's word is so clear, even when spiritual people come around us sometimes and point out sin in our lives, we can still be deluded and think that we're okay. This Pharisee was unable to see his own sorrowful state even when he was praying like this. So tragic. Let's shift gears and consider now the truly righteous, the tax collector here. You know, all you have to do to understand what true righteousness looks like is invert the self-righteousness. So let's reverse what we talked about with the self-righteous. The truly righteous, number one, trust in God for righteousness. Look in verse 13. What was his prayer like? It wasn't, hey God, check me out. I pray all the time. I fast all the time. I give money away. No, no, no. He said, God... Okay, he started off just the same way, God, and then he followed that up with, be merciful to me, verse 13. What a contrast from the self-righteous Pharisee. This tax collector was calling out for God's mercy. He realized that his only hope of experiencing righteousness and being justified was not going to be found from himself. It was going to be given to him from the outside, given to him as a gift from God. And the reason for this is because the truly righteous are able to see their own badness. See, the self-righteous could only see their own goodness. But the truly righteous are able to see their own badness. Look in verse 13 again. God have mercy on me. What? What does he call himself? A sinner. Or a more literal translation is the sinner. Not just a sinner in general. I am the sinner. (laughs) I'm the one who's done wrong before you. God, he was able to see his own sinfulness. And that led him to fall in the mercy of God. And that's the starting point for anybody ever experiencing true righteousness. As you have to get to a point where you stop playing games. Where you stop putting up fronts. Where you stop trying to justify yourself. Oh, I'm okay. No, I'm good. No, I don't need help. Hey, I'll figure this out. You have to get to a point of humility, not pride, where you look at your life and you go, you know what? If I'm being honest with myself, I'm not perfect. I'm not perfect. I've got problems. I haven't always obeyed God. I haven't always treated other people the way I ought to. I haven't always thought the right way or spoken the right way. You have to get to that point if you ever hope to be truly justified before God. It's funny how for so many of us that have been raised in the church, it's hard to get to that place. Oftentimes it's easier for the tax collectors of the world, the drug dealers, the prostitutes, the pimps, the gang leaders, the people who just like this tax collector, I mean, he could look around and go, you know what? I've made a lot of mistakes. It's easy to see that sometimes. It's hard for the guy like the Pharisee who was raised on the Torah, going to the temple every day since he was a little kid. It can be a challenge to actually see your sin. But this tax collector, when he looked at his own life, here's what he said. "Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. Uh-oh, I'm in trouble. When he sits and takes inventory of what he's done with his life, all he could say is, "Uh uh-oh. 
Left to myself, I'm going to be in big trouble. Left to myself, I'm going to get judged because God's not going to allow me to go taking advantage of his children all the days of my life and act like it's no big deal. God's going to bring judgment on me. And notice because he was focused on his own sinfulness, how he wasn't critical of other people. Notice how unlike the Pharisee, he wasn't in the temple looking around, going, where are the really bad people in here? (laughs) Who are the people I can contrast myself against to pat myself on the back? No, the truly righteous are focused on their own brokenness, first and foremost. They're able to look in the mirror and go, "I I need grace today. I need help from God today. And because they have a good assessment of their own spiritual state, Guess what happens when they see other people in their sin? They don't go, oh God, I thank you. I'm not like that terrible person over there. They actually have empathy in their hearts. They actually extend grace to other sinners, other broken people. It's a beautiful thing. Well, I said everything for the Pharisee was rooted in pride. Notice everything for this tax collector was rooted in humility. In verse 14, Jesus says, but the one who humbles himself, referring to the tax collector, will be exalted. Now, even from his prayer, you can see humility, right? But I want you to notice that even in his posture, we see this man's humility. Verse 13, But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast. The Pharisee was in the front of the temple. The tax collector is in the back of the temple. And church, that's not because he came in late. The Pharisee would lift his eyes up to heaven. The tax collector actually bowed his head and had his eyes toward the ground. It's not because he's sleeping through the pastor's sermon and he's pounding his chest. This whole posture is one of brokenness. It's a posture of humility. He's essentially saying, he's communicating his unworthiness to even be in God's presence. A righteous, holy, pure God. He's recognizing, I have no right to demand anything of you, to stand in your presence. It demonstrates humility. He's able to say, I've I've done things that are shameful. I've taken advantage of people. I've been ruled by greed. I've failed to love God and I failed to love my neighbor. Please forgive me. Have mercy on me. I wonder if you've ever in your life felt conviction over your sin like that. I wonder if you've ever in your life felt that unworthy to stand in the presence of God? I hope so. Because again, this is the the beginning of true righteousness. It's understanding your brokenness. It's understanding your sinfulness in light of His holiness and His righteousness. As we begin to conclude, let's ask this question. What did each approach lead to? The prideful approach of the self-righteous Pharisee the humble approach of the tax collector? What did that lead to? Well, for the Pharisee, it led to judgment. Verse 14, Jesus said, for everyone who exalts himself, pride, will be humbled. That's judgment. Verse 14, the tax collector went down to his house justified rather than the other. 
So the Pharisee then, by implication, did not go home justified. No, he's going to be humbled. He's going to experience judgment. And all of us need to know this morning that if we are going to focus our attention on our own works, on our own goodness as the basis for your right standing with God, you too are destined for judgment. If you're going to say, Lord, I've earned my way into heaven. I've earned your approval. You will actually earn judgment. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. Speaking about judgment, speaking about hell. The wages, the thing that you've earned, if you want to talk about what you've earned before God, you've earned, your paycheck is death. Can I give you a word of advice this morning? Grounded in God's word. Don't make your approach with God God, here's what I've earned. It's not going to work out for you. Instead, what we need to do is follow the example of the tax collector. What did his approach lead to? According to Jesus, it led to justification, which is another word for true righteousness. Jesus said in verse 14, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified. This lowly, humble trust in a merciful God rather than in ourselves, is the ticket to being justified. What does that fancy word justified mean? It literally means to be declared righteous. It's language that comes out of a courtroom. So in a courtroom, obviously a trial proceeds and then the judge gives an ultimate verdict. And if he says that I'm siding with you, that you have been proven right in the case, then you are justified. You are declared right or righteous in that case. And this is important for us to understand this morning. We need to understand that justification, being justified before God, is about being declared or called by God righteous. It's not about being made righteous. And this is a big distinction. Because sometimes we can think that in order to be justified before God, to be righteous before God, what needs to happen is I need to clean up my life. I need to get my act together. I need to become really, really good and really, really moral, and then I'll be justified before God. Friends, that's not the way this works. That's not the way the gospel works. Because if we're going to evaluate whose life was cleaner in that temple that day, who wins? The Pharisee. His lifestyle was a lot more moral. So if that's what this thing's about, then he should have gone home justified. And the guy who's taking advantage of all of his neighbors should have gone home unrighteous. Justification is about being declared righteous. Here's how it works. When you acknowledge humbly that you're a sinner in need of mercy... You look to the Savior that God has provided. His name is Jesus Christ. Jesus came and He lived a perfectly righteous life in your place. He never sinned where you have. And then He died on the cross as a substitute for you. He took the wrath of God, the penalty for sin upon Himself. And then He defeated death by His resurrection from the grave. And He triumphed over your great enemies, sin and death. And now if you'll fall on His mercy and you'll say, I believe in you, Jesus, and I'm going to trust in you for my righteousness and not in myself, guess what happens? The Bible says that you actually become united with Christ and you're in Christ. That's the language of the New Testament. 
And here's the trick. Here's what happens. Because you're in Christ, now when you stand before God on that final day, when he looks at you, he actually doesn't see you. You're in Christ and he looks at you and he sees his own perfect, righteous son. And in Christ, you are welcomed into God's family. In Christ, you are welcomed into God's kingdom and in his righteousness, you stand. But guess what? If the thing you're claiming is your own righteousness, then when you stand before God, all he's gonna see is you in your sinfulness. And it's gonna lead to judgment. This man, this tax collector, although he was evil, he was wicked, he walked into that temple a sinner destined for hell. Guess what, church? He left that temple a saint destined for heaven. It happened in a moment of time. Because he got real about his situation, he stopped trying to justify his sin, and he came to God and said, I'm a sinner, I need mercy. And he fell on God's mercy. And he walked out of that church, that temple, justified in an instant. Did you know the same can happen for you today? Did you know you could have walked into this church today after doing something horrible last night? Something that you're going to regret for the rest of your life last night. You could have walked into this church today after living a terrible life, a wicked life. And just like this man, you could pray a prayer of genuine faith, trusting in God, and you could leave this church today and go down to your house justified, declared righteous, never again concerned about judgment from God, knowing that for the rest of your life and all of eternity, you will be accepted by God. It's a beautiful thing. Lastly, did you know that you could have entered this church today like a Pharisee? You could have walked into this church today always looking at yourself as the basis for your own righteousness, saying things like this in your heart. Eh, when I die, I'm going to work things out with the big guy upstairs. I'm a pretty good person. And did you know that even if you walked in that way, you could have a change of heart here today? You could recognize maybe for the first time in your life that even though you look good on the outside, you've been broken on the inside and you too can fall on the mercy of God today and you would leave here and walk out of this church justified with your name written in the book of life in heaven, with your sins forgiven and with a new life in Christ. Church, today our application is very straightforward. Which of these two characters am I more like? Am I self-righteous or am I truly righteous? Here's two questions you can ask to examine your own heart. And I'll end with this. Number one, ask yourself, what is the focus of my faith? What is the focus of my faith? Is it Jesus and his righteousness? Or is it Daniel and my own righteousness? So what is the focus of my faith? And number two, what is the fruit of my faith? And what I mean by that is, Do I treat others with contempt or do I treat others with empathy and grace? And as you answer these questions, it'll give you a really good understanding of where you fall. Whether you're a self-righteous person in need of grace or you're a truly righteous person who has experienced God's grace. Church, can we close with a word of prayer now and ask God to search our hearts together? Let's pray.
Father, it's texts like these that are often the most terrifying for any of us who have been raised in the church. Because Jesus, you always want to push past the superficial exterior of our lives, the airbrushed version of ourselves. You always go to the heart. And you always examine the true substance of who we are. And we can fool other people. Gosh, we can even fool ourselves, but we can never fool you. And I'm so thankful, Jesus, that you, as the good physician, care enough to, through your word, even expose our souls, to cut them open, to help us to see the truth about who we are. Because God forbid any of us continue on going through the motions day after day like this Pharisee and find out on that final day when we stand before you that we actually, in fact, aren't justified. That whatever righteousness we thought we had was self-righteousness and not true righteousness. So Lord, this morning, if any of us have consciously or even subconsciously looked to ourselves as the basis of our righteousness, I pray that you would give us the faith to turn from that and to cast ourselves upon you, Jesus, and experience your grace and your forgiveness and true righteousness. Lord, I also pray for any who have joined us today who have never put their faith in you, Jesus. Maybe they never understood how they could be truly righteous. Oh, Lord, I pray that you would give them faith today to call out to you, to say even like this tax collector, God, have mercy on me, the sinner. And I pray that as they do that, that you, Jesus, would come into their lives, that you would forgive them of their sins, that you would give them true righteousness and a brand new start in life. We thank you for your love toward us, even demonstrated here this morning in this passage we've studied. We ask all these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.